To the Recreation and Park Commission, would the secretary please call the roll? Commissioner Buell? Here. Commissioner Anderson? Here. Commissioner Griffin? Here. Commissioner Hallisey? Here. Commissioner Louie? Here. Commissioner Mazzola? Here. And Commissioner Jupiter Jones has an excused absence. This is the Recreation and Park Commission meeting of November 17th, 2022. The San Francisco Recreation and Park Commission acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatish Ohlone peoples who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We honor the Ramatish Ohlone peoples for their enduring commitment to Mother Earth. As the indigenous protectors of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatish Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As stewards of parkland, we recognize our duty to honor the Ohlone through thoughtful and informed preservation and interpretation of ancestral land. As uninvited guests, we affirm the sovereign rights as First Peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatish community. Good morning and welcome to the Recreation and Park Commission. This meeting is being held in hybrid format with the meeting occurring in person in City Hall Room 416 with options to join and provide public comment remotely as well. We ask that you please turn off electronic devices and take any secondary conversations outside in order for the meeting to proceed as efficiently as possible. We ask listeners to turn down your television and or computers while listening on the phone. We ask for your patience if we experience any technical issues. Public comment will be taken both in person and remotely. Public comment will be available for each item on the agenda. Unless otherwise announced by the president, each person will have two minutes for public comment on each item. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available both in person in City Hall room 416 and via phone. For each item, the commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending the meeting remotely. For those who would like to join the meeting remotely, you can watch the meeting live on SFGov TV. You may also provide public comment via phone by calling 415-655-0001 using today's access code 2497-814-9073. When you hear the agenda item you would like to comment on call, dial star three to be added to the queue to speak. You'll be lined up in the system in the order you dial star three. The system will notify you when you are in line and waiting, during which time the system will be silent. All callers will remain on mute until their line is open. Everyone must account for the time delays and speaking discrepancies between live coverage and streaming. Please address your comments to the commission during public comment on items. In order to allow equal time for all, neither the commission nor staff will respond to any questions during public comment. The commission may ask questions of staff after public comment is closed. If there is an item of interest to you that is not on the agenda and is under the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission, you may speak under general public comment and that is item five and then continued at item nine. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in either of the following ways by emailing recpark.commission at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be included in the legislative file as part of the matter. Written comments may also be sent via the U.S. Postal Service to San Francisco Recreation and Park Commission, 501 Stanyon Street, San Francisco, California, 94117. The following are short announcements for those of you joining us in person today. If the fire alarms activate, you must evacuate the building in an orderly fashion using any exit. Please note that elevators will immediately return to the first floor and are not available for use. If you need assistance out of the building, please make your way to the closest area of refuge, which is directly across the hall in the men's restroom. Inside the restroom is a speaker box. Press it and City Hall security will answer. Let them know your location and they will assist you.
Please note that this commission meeting is recorded and will be available for later viewing on sfgovtv.org. We are now on item two, continuation of remote meetings. So unless you want to discuss anything, I will call for public comment on that. Please call for okay. public comment. Is there anyone in room 416 who would like to provide public comment on item two? I'm hearing something on the line. Uh, and we have no hands raised on our. Oh. Okay. Um, SFGov TV, can you mute whatever that is? I'm. It doesn't look like anyone's on our line, so I'm not sure what it is. Okay. Let's continue on. Chair, I'd entertain a motion on item two. So moved. It's been moved. Is there a second? Seconded. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, and the item passes. We are now on item three, the president's report, during which time I will try to get this to turn off. You, you won't have much time because to the joy of the public, I have no report today. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any public comment in room 416 on the president's report? Thanks, Larry. And do we have any hands raised on our line? Seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. We are now on item four, the general manager's report. To the joy of the commission. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Uh, good morning, commissioners. Happy holidays. Uh, I do have uh, a relatively brief report today. Uh, we start with some election results in case we've been asleep for the last eight days. Uh, the JFK Promenade is here to stay. After last week's election, uh, the JFK Promenade will be a permanent feature of Golden Gate Park, uh, just as the Board of Supervisors affirmed back in April. Uh, San Francisco voters overwhelmingly supported Prop J. Uh, votes are still being counted, but it's up to about 64% of it's up to about 64% of San Francisco's vo San Franciscans voting for Prop J and uh, well over 65% voting against uh, Prop I. Um, so now that we know the promenade is here to stay, uh, fun installations like our street murals, our chairs, our games, ping pong, art installations, pianos, and more can stay and continue to bring joy for all San Franciscans. Uh, and of course, uh, along with uh, the results on Prop I, climate change initiatives that will protect the Great Highway and Ocean Beach will move forward, including the Ocean Beach Climate Adaptation Project. Uh, also, for the time being, on the Great Highway, uh, will, uh, it will remain a uh, car-free promenade from Friday afternoons through Sunday. Uh, there is a three-year pilot study legislation which was introduced by Supervisor Marr back in July and it's expected to go before the Board of Supervisors before uh, the city's local declaration of emergency expires, which would be February. That would not be for any sort of permanent result. That would, be, again, be for more of a, of, a, of, a, of a pilot that would include continued um, uh, car-free enjoyment of the space on the weekends. Uh, and I just want to thank all the commissioners, regardless of anyone's point of view or preference. Uh, there was really robust community outreach on this topic. Uh, I'm very proud of our staff who worked incredibly hard over a number of years 
uh, on the planning, on the counting. I see Taylor Emerson there uh, on some of the interim design features of the promenade. Uh, and it's, I got to experience it this past weekend just as a San Franciscan incognito. And I was out there Saturday on a, on a, on a bicycle, but Sunday, uh, Emily Winston and I just walked the space and it was really special. I think we've stumbled upon something that I think San Franciscans are gonna enjoy for generations. And we, you know, I think we should all be, uh, when I say we, I mean all of us, regardless of our point of view on the topic, uh, proud of exploring this issue, of talking about it, of trying to resolve pinch points, which we will continue to do of making sure that everyone, regardless of what neighborhood you're in or regardless of how you get there or how you enjoy it once you're there, has an opportunity to really enjoy this beautiful space. And for those commissioners who have not spent a ton of time out there, man, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost like a park within a park within a park because you have all these different program stations along the promenade, which itself is a slightly bigger park and then all of that within Golden Gate Park. It's, it's something, to, something to see and enjoy. So, all right, um, uh, it's holiday season. So, uh, and particularly uh, given the results of the election, we got a lot of exciting stuff uh, all around the city, uh, but I'm gonna focus a little bit on uh, stuff happening in uh, Golden Gate Park for the holidays. Uh, Rack and Park's annual tree lighting ceremony, and I believe we're up to year uh, Mr. President, 86 or 87. There's a joke in there somewhere, but I won't make it. But uh, we've been doing the tree lighting for a long, 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 long time. Started, uh, started by uh, John McLaren. Um, and uh, it will be December 1st from 3 to 8 p.m. is the event featuring uh, snow. We're bringing snow to the promenade. Yes, and if you were outside this morning, it might actually be natural. Uh, carnival rides, food trucks, live entertainment, uh, lots of lighting exhibits. Uh, Entwined uh, in Peacock Meadow comes back and debuts on December 1st. Uh, we will have special treats all along the promenade, music in the band shell, the, the observation wheel all lit up and rolling. It's gonna be fun. So we've had a hard couple of years. The election's behind us. Let's go out and, and celebrate together. Um, uh, Entwined, of course, uh, will be back for its third year, I believe, uh, and this is an incredible light installation by uh, renowned Bayview artist, Charles Gattigan, uh, who will be back in the park, and uh, we are super grateful to the San Francisco Parks Alliance for uh, their support of Entwined. Uh, we also have the Safeway Holiday Ice Rink uh, back at, at Union Square, presented by Kaiser Permanente. Uh, I was out there with the, the mayor and the Union Square Alliance and many, 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 many uniformed uh, city personnel and ambassadors out at Union Square on Wednesday. Uh, Union Square is popping uh, between the tree, the Macy's tree and the ice skating rink and not in my notes, unfortunately, but also beginning uh, uh, out at Union Square, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the day after Thanksgiving, will be World Cup Soccer, uh, part of a much larger program that starts next uh, Monday, November 20th at The Crossing, uh, which is the uh, pop-up park in Transbay Lot 3 in the, uh, near where the temporary bus station was. 
Uh, that will be home base for our World Cup soccer efforts, uh, which begin on Monday, November 20th, and we will have matches there. They'll be at Union Square uh, over Thanksgiving. They will be in Civic Center, and the finale, uh, which uh, Commissioner Hallisey is going to feature whom? <laughs> United Make a prediction. States, of course. United States, of course, and? Hmm. England. Wales. Well, no, no, Wales, U.S., uh, Patrick, nicely done, but U.S. plays Wales in the opening match on November 20th at the crossing. I think a USA Germany or USA Brazil's looking awfully good this year, too, so is Spain, so we'll see. Last uh, time I was here question. in the Bay Area, personally, it was Brazil who did win. So that's right, point. that's right. I knew Commissioner Hallisey was all over this. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, USA England uh, at Union Square uh, on Friday, November, the day after Thanksgiving, which I believe is the 26th, I think. Uh, so 25th. 25th. Super exciting. Um, anyway, lots of fun holiday stuff. I'll stop musing about the World Cup, but we all have our, our favorite activities. Uh, and then uh, in addition to the rink at Union Square, on December 7th, uh, we turn on the Civic Center Plaza holiday tree with a wonderful ceremony and more fun food games, holiday entertainment, and a toy giveaway benefiting more than 400 kids. So lots of good holiday stuff. Come out and join us. Uh, earlier this month, I just wanted to share with everyone that we, we held our Therapeutic Recreation Family Day at Golden Gate Park's Botanical Garden. Participants got to try out activities like hula hoops, bubbles, parachute runs, and much more. Afterwards, families got to explore their accessible mobility options through SFMTA's Adaptive Transportation Day, trying out different mobility devices which fit their specific mobility needs. And for a few participants, it was their first time riding a bike. So that was pretty exciting. And speaking of the botanical, I should slip in here, also not in my notes, uh, that uh, I was very grateful to be joined by Commissioner Louie at a hard hat tour and reception for the new nursery and head house at the San Francisco Botanical Garden. We are so excited about this. Uh, in the words of our staff, that this is, this is a game changer. It's one of the best nursery facilities anywhere in any public botanical garden in the country. And it's uh, uh, really something to celebrate. Uh, that combined with the work that this commission did earlier in the year to create the gardens of Golden Gate Park, uh, our three horticultural treasures in the park, the Conservatory of Flowers, the Japanese Tea Garden, uh, and the San Francisco Botanical Garden are really on the map as a national attraction and destination and very significant horticultural and uh, conservation site. So we're thrilled about that. On December 6th, we're excited to welcome everyone to our next groundbreaking event at the Sunnydale Hub uh, in Visitation Valley. The Hub will bring a new community center and a new recreation center to this diverse and well-established neighborhood for the very first time. It's, uh, it's actually not had a, a, a rec center. It'll include a boys and girls club for uh, uh, in Sunnydale, a Wuyi Early Learning Center, uh, a gymnasium, landscape play areas, courtyard, gathering areas for fitness, cooking classes, and get uh, and get-togethers, and then, of course, uh, several of us uh, were out for the groundbreaking of the new uh, Let's Play SF Playground at HERS Playground two weeks ago. Uh, so that will also be part of this beautiful new, new complex in a neighborhood which really, really, really deserves it. So we are proud to partner with Mercy Housing on this December 6th groundbreaking. Um, earlier this month, and I'm sure 
there will be at least somebody here who wants to talk about public pickleball during public comment. Um, but earlier this month, uh, Rec and Park held a community meeting with pickleballers in the tennis community at the County Fair Building. During the meeting, we were able to gather quite a bit of feedback and listen to concerns of each respective community. Uh, and we are hard at work uh, looking for creative solutions that allow both sports to thrive. We love pickleball at the Recreation and Park Department. We also love tennis and basketball and <laughs> skateboarding and all kinds of other fabulous sports. So I will remind us all that in the last only few years, we now have uh, 60 outdoor courts lined for pickleball and increasing. We have five indoor gymnasiums which accommodate pickleball. We have 11 dedicated pickleball courts in addition to the 48 or 49 outdoor courts lined for multiple sports. Uh, we have dedicated pickleball hours at four different tennis court sites. Uh, and we have reservable pickleball courts at five park locations. And there will be more. So we are uh, more to come on this. We've got some really good and exciting ideas on how to accommodate this uh, fabulous growing sport. Um, and then guess what? I get to revisit World Cup soccer because it actually was in my notes. So. As the 2022 FIFA World Cup approaches, thank you, Commissioner Buell, for not taking any time this morning because I've taken yours. <laughs> so as the 2022 FIFA World Cup approaches, Rec Park is proud to partner with Street Soccer USA to host the World Cup Village, a series of live stream viewing parties happening at several iconic city locations, the crossing at East Cut, Union Square Plaza, Civic Center Plaza, and the JFK Promenade in Golden Gate Park. The festivities kick off this Monday, November 21st, with an opening celebration at the crossing. And yes, Patrick Lynch, the U.S. plays Wales. Um, well, soccer is on the draw. The goal here is is while soccer is the draw, the goal here is really to create social connection and foster community. A full schedule of events can be found at worldcupsf.org. Um, uh, our Greenager program is having a graduation ceremony on Saturday, December 10th. This time last year, I think a few of you were able to join us for this graduation. It's quite special. Uh, it will be at the Lake Merced Boathouse. The program is a youth stewardship and leadership program made possible through a partnership with RPD and the Port of San Francisco. Greenagers, young people are trained and given skills so that they can co-lead workshops and volunteer projects and participate in community events and team building exercises. All commissioners are invited to the graduation ceremony, which goes from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Saturday, December 10th. Uh, since we last got together, we also celebrated a ribbon cutting where we were joined by Commissioner Griffin uh, at the Waller, the newly uh, refurbished Waller uh, skateboard area. Um, and I got to meet with members of this community again last night to do a little bit of a debrief and to talk about what's next. Uh, the skateboard world, and not just in San Francisco, but nationally, thinks that what we've done at Waller is an emerging national best practice. You reclaim a space that was underutilized, you use reclaimed materials. They are so excited about it, uh, and it really is quite special. So kudos to uh, all of the partners involved in this project, my amazing uh, capital and planning staff for all of the great work that they do. This thing has turned out to be extraordinary. It's quite a draw. People are really happy, and like pickleball, it is a very, very, very popular sport. Uh, Commissioner Buell, i got some good news for you. Coming to the end here. So uh, we're going to just show our video of the week here. Uh, RPD's Community Shuttle Program is front and center.
The program allows community members to be picked up at their local recreation centers, whisking them away voluntarily uh, to the beautiful Golden Gate Park. Once at the park, community members can relax and enjoy the park's beautiful locations at no cost and without having to worry about parking. So we're going to show the video, um, right, Ashley, and uh, take a look at that. And then that will conclude the general manager's report, except for a really happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And the public will note that he said it was going to be his brief general manager's report. Oh, that was brief. <laughs> that was the short version. It really was. <laughs> 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 hmm? You didn't take one. I listened. Oh. The screen is us. SFGov TV, I'm going to play a video on the. There There's the shuttle thingy. <laughs> thingy. The shuttle thingy. <laughs> I believe it does. Yeah, that's going to be loud. It's going to come on loud. It's going to blast us out. There we go. Oh, you could just sort of let it roll. I was there. That was fun. SFGov TV, I don't know if you can help with the sound. I, I have sound on both the video and the computer. This really has been a great. Um, Why don't you narrate? Sure, I'll narrate. Uh, this has really been a fabulous program. Um, our partnership division, Lisa Branson and team, along with uh, our public affairs division and our our uh, uh, Golden Gate Park team, uh, we've worked with community partners in districts 10 and 11 and 3 and around the city where uh, people don't spend as much time there because it's not as it's not their neighborhood park and uh, we've been able to bring people to the park uh, give them uh, free access to the museums give them a ride on the ferris wheel let them explore the gardens and uh, I've had the pleasure of showing up a couple times at a at a lunch where we talk about the history and specialness uh, that is the park and it's been a wonderful way to to um, just uh, welcome. welcome people and celebrate all of the park's incredible attractions And uh, without, without sound, I'll just say that that concludes the general manager's report. <laughs> mm. Wow. They're, they're trying on the question panel, should be a button that says unmute present tree. Oh, okay. Hey. You want me to rewind it, Phil? No, that's all right. <laughs> we got pickleballers who want to talk, so I think we got to keep going here.
there was one family that um, the, the mom brought out her grown children and the grandchildren came, so they had a great time together. We had one lady that's been out four times, and she said she figured out how to get here on public transportation. It takes her a while, but she's really been able to come out and enjoy the park. And one person, Sister Stephanie, she actually told me that she came back three times since then with her kids, um, and they had a great time here. And then another lady brought her grown children and her grandkids, so that was great to hear. I think in general, just being out in nature is so great and uh, having a chance to socialize with other people because some of them are really isolated. People have told me, one, one family in particular, that they hadn't been out here in a long time, in decades. And this really helped mm -hmm. them just be able to get on the bus and come out. Hey, I think, yeah, it's really gotten people to feel more comfortable coming out and knowing what's out here and feeling like they'd have a good time. Thank you, Commission. Thanks for your Thank patience, you. everyone. Um, now I will take public comment on the general manager's report. Is there anyone in room 416? Okay, seeing none, do we have any hands raised? As a reminder to those of you listening, you can dial star three. Okay, no hands raised. So public Com comment is now closed. Thank you. Commissioner Anderson? As an add-on to some of the things that general manager Phil discussed, I have been going out to the JFK promenade quite frequently and wanted to share that um, almost weekly really cool um, elements are getting added to the promenade. Um, there's a yellow dot, a you are here dot that um, has ginkgo trees in it and hopefully the, all of their leaves will turn yellow. There's also yellow Adirondack chairs and things like that. Um, if you go further down the promenade, you'll find a whale tail poking up out of the um, street there, and there's a, a beer and wine garden there, which is becoming quite a, a popular event. Um, and I, there's just such great energy when you go out there. And I really want to give a shout-out to Phil and a um, community partnership that he's built up with um, Illuminate and Ben Davis, has come to us with a lot of ideas, and funding is streaming in from various um, entities, including the taxpayers of the city and county of San Francisco. So I just want to really want to feature the generosity and the energy that's pouring into the park right now, and great efforts are being made to make sure that people can be helped to get around. The shuttle is going all the time, and there's plenty of uh, parking in the, the music concourse garage, and I just really encourage people to make the effort to go out. I also uh, have visited the Japanese tea gardens a few times because the pagoda has been unveiled. Um, and I cannot say enough about how beautiful those gardens are. Um, I went this past weekend, and um, there were so many people streaming into the Japanese tea gardens. You almost just couldn't find a peaceful space. <laughs> but that's good. It's beloved. And, um, you know, I encourage everybody to come out. Of course, it's free to San Francisco residents. Um, and I, so I really want to give a shout-out to Stephen Pitzenbarger and his crew who um, welcomed the stonemasons from Japan in. Um, they had a great visit with us, and uh, we are really garnering a lot of respect from all over the world. So good job, Phil and team. You're welcome. Thank you. 
President Buell, we had a person raise their hand after I close public comment. Would you Please like to reopen it? Please have that person comment. Okay. Um, Jeanette, if you'd like to unmute them, you'll have two minutes to speak. And again, this is a reminder, it's comment on the general manager's report. Hello, go ahead. Uh, yes, my name is David Rayner, and um, I spoke to this commission last time uh, a year ago uh, when the city, uh, Parks and Rec, tried to shut down uh, the uh, Junior Warriors Youth Basketball League. Uh, they were trying to cut it back at the time to about eight teams per grade level. Uh, by speaking to this commission, we managed to get Rex and Park to open that back up and for our teams to be able to participate. Uh, but it appears that they're doing the same thing this year. Uh, many teams have been waitlisted. Uh, there's no answer on when that waitlist ends. Our expectation is that, like last year, they're going to tell those teams that there is not a spot for them this year. And we really want to have youth basketball for all kids in San Francisco this winter. There's no reason why it shouldn't happen. Uh, this is a basic service that has to happen. There are no other uh, rec centers that can handle this kind of a, a citywide league. And if the city can't handle it, then maybe it's time to think about uh, whether or not we transition this to a nonprofit that can handle it so that our kids aren't shut out of youth basketball uh, this year and in future years. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so I just want to double check. There's no other comment on the general manager's report. We're going to move to general public comment next, so that'll be for anything else. Okay, seeing no further comment, public comment is closed. We are now on general public comment up to 15 minutes. This item will be continued to item nine. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission and that do not appear on the agenda. With respect to agenda items, you will have an opportunity to address the commission when the item is reached in the meeting. I have a number of blue cards here that have been filled out. If there's anyone else who would like to comment that hasn't filled one out, you're not required to fill one out, but there's blue cards up here. Otherwise, I'll call additional people after. And I'll call you in groups of three. So I have Dan, Lillian, and then Lisa. You can come on up to the microphone, starting with Dan. Good morning. My name is Dan Landy. I've been a resident of San Francisco for 25 years. If I were an RPD commissioner, and I were walking through the parks, seeing pickup basketball, rollerblader dancers, swing dancers, I'd be asking myself, I'd be thinking to myself, this is what parks are all about. People coming together to enjoy activities they love, meeting old friends and making new ones. How can we create more of this? Well, I'm here to tell you that pickleball is a gift to you. All you have to do is create spaces around the city, and magically, thousands of San Franciscans will appear. They will gather together to play and to socialize. If you're wondering how to make this happen, I suggest you listen to what the community is saying. I have here four pounds of email, 288 messages written to the commission in support of permanent dedicated pickleball courts at Stern Grove. The points that the writers of these emails agree on are as follows. Number one, 
The few pickleball venues in the city are severely overcrowded. Number two, a solution has to be found quickly because more players are showing up every day. Number three, dual lining tennis courts is not a good solution. Pickleball players nor tennis players like it. And finally, the letters writers agree that creating permanent dedicated pickleball courts at Stern Grove is the solution. So in making this decision, I urge you to take the time to understand the issues and to please listen to what the community has to say. Thank you for your attention. Thank you very much. Okay, we have Lillian, Lisa, and then Evan. Good morning. My name is Lillian Kim Murphy. I'm a 30-year resident and an avid supporter of Reckon Park. You have done a stunning job at preserving open space with a variety of recreational venues. Sport fields, gardens, playgrounds, and tennis center all serve as a beacon of civic pride. But now there is a new game in town, pickleball. It is not a fad or window dressing. It is a new essential in recreation, and the number of players are exploding locally and nationally. RPD is presented with a golden opportunity to create pickleball sites in the city. It's a mystery why we are forced to behave in a model of scarcity when there are a plethora of tennis courts and 4,100 acres of rec and open space. The crucial part of pickleball is open play and multiple courts at one site is fundamental. The game is unique because it builds community without trying. We put our paddles down and play with the best San Francisco has to offer. It's diverse people. Dual lining tennis courts is a huge concession for both tennis and pickleball players. Pickleballers would like dedicated courts with nets. If numbers matter, the footprint at Stern Grove in the sunset can fit eight pickleball courts and delight 32 pickleballers versus two tennis courts and four tennis players in one session. The wait times for play is daunting at the Presidio Wall and Lewis Sutter. Goldman reservations are gone in less than five seconds at 12.30 p.m., eight days in advance. The Sunset District already has seven sites with 14 tennis courts. There are only 11 dedicated pickleball courts in the city. The need for dedicated pickleball courts is immediate. We are asking the commissioners to be open and nimble to support the Stern Grove Option 1 proposal. If approved, we can relieve the pent-up demand and allot time for RPD to strategically plan for more sites. We cannot wait for a suggested Larson or Croquet Court project, which has not been approved, budgeted, or supported by the neighboring community. Thank you. The time is of the ends, and Stern Grove is an easy and obvious solution. Thank you. Okay, Thank we you have very much. Lisa, Evan, and then Laurel. I wrote it down so I won't go over, or I'm trying not to at least. Good morning. My name is Lisa Shaw, and I am an active member of both the tennis and pickleball communities. Currently, there is a huge misconception by some very vocal members of the tennis community that pickleball is on a land grab mission to take over all the tennis courts in San Francisco. As someone who plays both sports competitively, comparing pickleball to tennis is like comparing apples to oranges. Pickleball players love open play. We don't need or want individual courts around town. We need central locations with multiple dedicated courts like at Lewis Sutter or Hill Rack in Novato. For those that are not familiar with pickleball, the same two tennis courts that accommodate between four and eight players for 90 minutes translate to six pickleball courts accommodating 24 to 48 players each hour, and that's having to wait one game. 
Currently, we're waiting two or three at Presidio Wall and Lewis Sutter because of overcrowding. In terms of taking over tennis courts, I'd like to put this into perspective. According to the Park and Rec website, not counting Golden Gate Park, which you have to pay for, there are 120 public tennis courts. 20 of them have lights. There are 52 pickleball courts, which include the six dedicated courts at Lewis Sutter and two lined volleyball courts. Pickleball only uses 16 of 120 courts, none of which have lights. Creating six to eight dedicated courts at Stern Grove would not affect the 120 court count, and in fact would return four of those 16 courts back to the, dedicate, back to the tennis community by making Parkside dedicated. For the record, I am not a proponent of converting popular tennis courts to dedicated pickleball courts, but I do believe that these two courts at Stern Grove will, be, will not be missed or make a difference. In fact, not one person that spoke last week on behalf of tennis mentioned their personal attachment to these courts. I know that if the courts in question were Mountain Lake Park or Presidio Wall or DuPont, the neighborhood would have come out in droves to protest and I would have been on that side. Park and Rec has a unique opportunity right now to accommodate a huge amount of San Francisco pickleballers and help alleviate all the overcrowding at the current pickleball locations without hurting the tennis community. Thank you. It would be great if we could come together and find new solutions for future locations, not existing courts, which will of course be needed considering the rate at which pickleball is growing and how quickly Sorry. Golden Gate Park is turning over Sorry, new time. players from their clinics. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay. <clears throat> Evan and then Laurel and then Hans. Um, I'm Laurel Schaefer-Trent, and I have lived in San Francisco for 37 years, and I wish I had discovered pickleball a long time ago. I first heard about pickleball at my 50th high school reunion a few years ago. Some of my classmates live in Florida, and they mentioned a game called pickleball. At the time, I thought, oh, how cute, and that was that. But back in February, thank goodness, my delightful neighbor Lois mentioned that she plays pickleball and would I like to try it? Sure, I replied, while well, she invited me to accompany her to Lewis Sutter Courts. A few days later, she told me about the free lesson every Tuesday at Presidio Wall. She accompanied me the next Tuesday. I was absolutely <coughs> enthralled and so excited to learn a new sport with so many other eager beginning students of all ages. I returned for a second free lesson, which is the limit because the lessons became so popular, and continued to play and have clearly found one of my life's passions. I have met dozens and dozens of gracious, welcoming, and patient people willing to alter their skill level so that less advanced players can participate in games with them. Even though P Wall, Presidio Wall, is my favorite place to play, I have played at five other courts, all of which has, have been very busy, which is why we need more dedicated permanent pickleball courts. What drives me nuts at most courts, including P Wall, is trying to figure out what color paint determines the kitchen line, the sidelines, and the baseline. I am grateful for the pickleball courts we already have, but we are outgrowing our existing courts, and I, along with many other players, are desperate for more dedicated pickleball courts, especially at Stern Grove, where eight new courts are shovel-ready. As an example of how popular 
pickleball has become. The CBS television network is airing a two-hour nationwide Thank pickleball you. special tonight <laughs> at 9 p.m. Sorry, your time is done. Hosted by Stephen Thank Colbert. You. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Okay, we have Evan and then Hans and then Bill. Hi, my name is Evan, and I grew up outside of Boston, and I had a pretty typical childhood. I got decent grades, I had a lot of friends, and I always loved being around sports. I went to college in Massachusetts and graduated in 2007. That summer is when my girlfriend, and now wife, got a job in Kansas City, and I decided to move with her. We're always on the move for her job. We lived there for three years, Charlotte for three years, and Tampa Bay for three years. Um, during each move, it was a bit daunting to make friends, especially because I've always worked remotely. So I played a variety of sports to stay active and also so I could meet people. And luckily it worked every time. And I still have a lot of close friends from those three cities. I played volleyball, kickball, soccer, softball, tennis, flag football, spikeball, and basketball. In 2017 is when we moved to San Francisco. I was 32 years old at the time and was very excited to start another chapter in our life. Um, it quickly became our favorite city. I again started playing a lot of sports, knowing I would eventually find my people. But I was wrong. Everyone was very friendly, but unfortunately I was unable to make any close connections. I was a bit sad, but more so confused, and wondered if it was me or were people too busy with their jobs or addicted to their phones. I didn't have the answer. Of course, the pandemic hit, and that affected everyone. In February 2022 is when everything changed for me. That is when I found pickleball. The sport itself is very easy to pick up, and it's full of lots of laughs and smiles between each point. It's fun, it's competitive, and it's the most social community I've ever been a part of. I now play five times a week, and I finally have a place in the city where I can call home. I went from having two friends in the city to now having over 50. I don't think there will ever be a sport created in our lifetime that brings this much joy and excitement to people's lives. I know I am the happiest I've ever been, and it's all because of pickleball and the pickleball San Francisco community. And right now, like everyone's mentioned, the courts are getting too crowded, and we need more dedicated courts so more people can experience this happiness. Thank you. OK, we have Hans, Bill, and then Susie. Uh, good morning. My name's Hans Carter, and I've been playing pickleball for about six years. And I'm also a long-term member of the Pickleball Working Committee that meets with Reckon Park, including uh, Commissioner Louie. I've seen the sport grow from a small group of dedicated players and to huge numbers of regular participants uh, playing locally today. Pickleball is still considered America's fastest growing sport with over 5 million participants nationwide. Uh, I want to talk about the court situation in the city. Um, pickleball is played in 10 outdoor public locations in the city. And according to Rec and Park figures, tennis has 140 courts citywide. Pickleball has 52, or as general manager Phil said, 60, but that includes the six closed at Stern Grove. However, only 11 of these pickleball courts have permanent nets. The other 40 courts are all dual-line tennis courts uh, with time-limited access and which require daily net servicing, meaning volunteers to set up, take down, and store equipment when these courts are given over to tennis. All 140 tennis courts have permanent nets, but only 11 pickleball courts in two locations ha also have permanent nets. 
Now, dual lining was appropriate six years ago when pickleball was getting started and demand was limited. Since then, 16 tennis courts have been dual lined for pickleball, creating 40 pickleball courts. But it's also resulted in friction between the with the tennis community. So we think dual lining is now the wrong approach to meet the ongoing demand increase and overcrowding that we see. Uh, with all the media attention recently given to pickleball and its explosive growth, we think that the dual lining strategy should be abandoned and create an eight-court permanent pickleball facility at Stern Grove. It's the best resource planning option for adapting to the changing recreational choices being made by the public today. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we have Bill, and then Susie, and then Nate. My name is Bill Lafferty. I'm a native San Franciscan. I retired 16 years ago. Since then, I've worked within the community. I've worked on historical streetcars on Market Street. I have been a diver in the aquarium. I've worked for many years in Golden Gate Park with the gardeners. And for the last five years, I have volunteered with the San Francisco pickleball community in an attempt to get permanent pickleball courts in the city. This effort is becoming unsustainable due to the lack of permanent pickleball courts. For example, we supply three on-site metal construction storage boxes, also two wooden storage boxes, two rolling carts. We supply nets to two middle schools and the Excelsior and Don Fisher Boys and Girls Club. We supply four rec centers and we have four outdoor courts for a total of 48 nets 60 paddles, all through donations from the pickleball community. Park and Rec supplies six rolling nets. We need eight permanent courts at Stern Grove so that we can play on our own time schedule, not Rec and Park's schedule. There have been, one, there have been over 100 volunteers, over hundreds of hours put forth to keep access available to the, to the community by the community. It is time for Park and rec to step up to the plate and support the pickleball community. And I have the letter from the young kid. Go ahead, I'm gonna, I'll restart your time for the, the letter. He's reading someone else's comment. So this letter is from a 12-year-old boy, Ashley. He would like to be here, but school will not let him out. And his folks have work scheduling. They have allowed me to speak for him. His, this is his letter, not my letter. I started playing pickleball when I was eight years old. I played with my dad, mom, and sister, and my grandfather when he is in town. Most recently, I have gotten my friends into it, so we have started playing together. The fast-paced, quick game, fun for all levels of athletes, made me, my friends, and 4.8 million other pickleball players fall in love. The game itself is not the best part of pickleball. It is the community. Everybody is supportive, welcoming to all players, no matter age or pickleball skill. I remember when I was 10 years old, I had a soccer camp at Paul Goody Field with a two-minute walk away from the pickleball courts in Presidio Wall. The camp would end at 12 p.m., and by myself, I would walk up to the pickleball courts, eat my lunch, and then go play pickleball with the community. I did this every day for two weeks, and never in the time did I not feel welcomed and encouraged to be there. I believe pickleball community is why the sport is so popular. The game itself is just connected the pickleball community. However, it's hard to grow this welcoming community when the courts are so crowded. 
on a weekend before COVID, there were 35 people. Now there's 100 players plus. This makes me and my family have to wait 20 to 30 minutes to play a game. It's discouraging to invite my friends to pickleball just, to see us, just for us to play three games in two hours. I would love to have a pickleball league or tournament in the city for kids. The courts are too busy and there are not enough of them to play. Let's work together to change this so we can grow the amazing pickleball community. Thank you, Asher Brin. Thank you very much. President Buell, we're now at 15 minutes of public comment. Um, Let, let's keep going. We have a couple of more comments, and then they won't have to stick around and okay. hear some of the mundane issues we deal with. I have Susie and then Nate. Hi. Uh, I was born and raised in San Francisco, so I, I know it pretty well. Um, anyway, so <clears throat> you've already heard that pickleball is growing in popularity, but I want to reiterate that there is an immediate need to have more pickleball courts in San Francisco. The current courts at Presidio Wall and Lucid are fully utilized. More importantly, they are way overcrowded. On a recent Saturday, there were over 90 people on the courts on the, on the, uh, and on the wait, and the wait to play was substantial, with 24 people playing and 70 waiting to play. I'm gonna quickly go over my view of the presented options um, that were given at the town hall meeting. Um, option one was dedicated courts at Stern Grove gives the city a chance to meet this urgent need is only option that is viable because it is shovel-ready and is paid for by the PUC. Also keeping in mind that, this, that these courts were underused by tennis players. The proposed option four of converting the croquet fields at Stern Grove to pickleball could take years and therefore does not address the immediate need. On the other hand, converting the croquet field at Stern Grove to tennis courts would give tennis players their two courts back. Tennis players don't have the same urgent need since there are already 137 public tennis courts, this would satisfy everybody's needs. Proposed option two to have pickleball courts at Larson Playground is totally unworkable. It could take years to get through the process since it would be eliminating basketball as well as tennis courts, creating the need for more town hall meetings, which would inevitably bring opposition from athletes and neighbors. Converting courts at Larson would displace many children who I personally have observed playing basketball on those courts after school and on weekends. Further, the cost of courts at Larson would come out of the RPD budget, and there is very limited street parking. Proposed option three of dual lining the tennis and pickleball is a temporary solution that has run its course. Both tennis players and pickleball players dislike this, and it is not a pickleball court without a net. Um, this leaves option one as being the most viable option that will meet the immediate need and a very large and growing diverse pickleball community. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I have a diagram of the Stern Grove okay. tennis courts, uh, pickleball courts, sorry. Next, I have Nate. Good morning. Uh, my name is Nate Valentine. I'm a Bay Area resident my entire life. I've uh, lived in San Francisco for about 20 years and been very active in the bar, restaurant, um, businesses, and throwing parties and things like that, and have seen community in San Francisco. You've heard the word community probably 100 times this morning. Um, I want to give you a little bit more description of what that means to me. This community is the most diverse uh, racially, economically, age, and culturally that I've ever been a part of in San Francisco. That community is not formed by single line courts in single places in San Francisco where we might be able to reserve a court for 30 minutes. That community is formed in a six court, eight court environment where there's conversation that takes place before the game, after the game, as you're waiting for a game, 
and that's where you meet people for the first time in your life. If I go to a court that's reserved for an hour, I'm going to make a reservation with Kat, Mark, and Vanetta, and we're going to meet together. But I'm not going to have an opportunity to meet Larry, Joseph, and Philip, and Larry Jr. Um, so that's why it's important to build six court centers. Stern Grove is one that can be built now, and it enables San Francisco to do the right thing for the citizens that are asking for that. It also, it also asks you to do is not stop there. There needs to be one more of these facilities somewhere else in San Francisco, ideally in the north part of town. Um, I don't want this to be about tennis versus pickleball. I want this to be about what's best for San Francisco and for you guys to figure out that path as we will put you in this position to do for our city as a whole. Please support the community of San Francisco and the people that are here in front of you as well as all the people that play uh, together. Thank you very much. Thank you. Is there anyone else in the room who did not fill out a blue card? Okay, come on up. Good morning, commissioners. Uh, my name is Paolo Pavoni. I am a San Francisco resident since 1992. I was born and raised there, and I just want to talk to you about the Junior Warriors program. Um, basketball, youth sports in general, has been very important to me growing up in San Francisco, and I think basketball especially since we are the home of the best team of the past decade. Um, I believe it's a bit inexcusable that there are not that many teams being allowed to play in the Junior Warriors program. I believe last year there was only eight fourth grade teams allowed in the entire city of San Francisco to play. Um, growing up, my peers um, that decided to leave sports were either incarcerated or ultimately passed away by I was 21. Um, I see these kids in Betrayal Hill neighborhood, specifically the Live Oak School, being shut out again this year for basketball. And Live Oak School is, um, provides education to kids from all socioeconomic backgrounds not just rich, not just poor, it's everyone. And I feel like if they're continued to sh be shut out each year by year, they might you know, ultimately lose interest in sports. And I feel like San Francisco, to get back to where it needs to be, needs to become a family first city. And that starts off with the grassroots sports program. And that's all I have to say. Just thank, you. thank you for your time. And Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, seeing no further public comment, uh, oh, we don't have anyone on the line with their hand raised either. Um, public comment is closed, but we will have another opportunity at item nine. Okay, we are now on Commissioner item... Commissioner Anderson, you had a oh, question? Sorry. I just... I just oh, was... I'm sorry. Did you... Go ahead. My mic is on. Yep. I just wanted to seek some clarification. I believe, and, and Commissioner Louie is going through this, and maybe Commissioner Griffin... We have ongoing community input meetings, right, on the pickleball issue. When's the next meeting? Anybody know? So, yeah, I, commissioners, you should all know where I think we're we're going to try to come come to you in January at the commission meeting with some uh, possible next steps to um, you know help to grow the sport and you know just a just a uh, a reflection since you asked is that. This is a great sport, and it is very clear that a lot of people play it and a lot of people enjoy it. Um, you know, but it is a sport that is, emer you know, emerging, emerging quickly, and uh, government, public spaces, public facilities. It's it's sometimes it's hard to pivot on a dime, and I think we've my my team, uh, who also we have a lot of pickleball players on our staff. Uh, we we are doing our best to figure out creative strategies to, to try to 
uh, meet the growing need. We've got a few more ideas that we're, that we're developing. Um, uh, but this also can't just be a SF Rec and Park responsibility. It, there are other land managers, other spaces, public and private, that also have to work to try to grow the sport. But we're gonna we're gonna do our best with the facilities that we have, and and I the the public comment that really resonated with me the most, and I appreciated it, was, let's not do this by cannibalizing somebody else's preferred recreation. Let's do this by adding more recreation, right? Like let's create more, and we're down with that. That's what that's how we want to approach it. Uh, and uh, you know we'll, we'll, we're gonna keep working on it, and we've got some some good things brewing. Thank you very much. That's that's exactly what I was hoping to draw out. I really appreciate everybody coming out, and we are definitely on it. Commissioner Louie. I just want to say, um, this is my community. Oop. You're on. Thank you for coming out. I know you're here uh, today, and if you weren't here, you'd probably be on a pickleball court. Um, so... We, we all understand, not just today, that this sport is growing faster than there are courts in San Francisco. And um, so we, we hear you. Um, I, we've heard every angle, and there just aren't enough courts in San Francisco. We've also heard that the um, – I'm, I'm a converted racquetball player to pickleball. Okay, I didn't go from racquetball to tennis to pickleball. I went from racquetball to pickleball. I like the pace of it. Um, I don't like waiting either for my turn to play because the sport, we understand, it is not the department's you know, problem. It's like the sport is growing faster in the world than with players of our age and even the younger players. So with the lack of courts, we, they tried the dual lines. We understand that. When I play on a dedicated court, and then I play on the ded on the the dual lines, I I get confused. I it's I maybe it's my age. I don't know, but I I get confused which line I'm playing. So I understand the your voice about wanting more dedicated courts. I also want to commend the department for trying, for doing what they're doing, to look for a balance between tennis and racquetball. I'm not racquetball, pickleball. Um, so everything, like in San Francisco, takes time. So it's not that, you know, we're, we, service, we serve as an oversight committee commission to the department. And I think all of us know that the health benefits of playing this game is, is it's just resounding we we know what's going on we see what's going on and we see the struggles and it's it is uh, confusing so we we appreciate your patience and we will um, like like general manager Ginsburg says they're doing everything they can and he's a pickleball player himself and so in not, a, not a very good one but I am an enthusiastic okay. one you know, and I invite, you know, the other commissioners, if you want, I got plenty of paddles at home. I know Evan would take us out, right, Lillian, and we can try the game. It is, I just want to say, for those who don't know, it is, I say, it's ping pong on the tennis court. And it's a really fun game, and we know it's growing, and we know ages throughout San Francisco uh, love the game. So thank you for coming today. 
Commissioner Griffin. Uh, I wanted to address the gentleman that was the last speaker. And I noticed we got some letters, General Manager Ginsburg, about um, basketball leagues not being available. And I'm just wondering uh, what the progress is on that. How are we working on it? Sure. Um, uh, our superintendent, uh, Nick Williams, is here. Uh, so we, we have about 130 teams signed up in our Junior Warriors program in various age groups. So we have the gyms that we have. Uh, we are hopeful as, and Nick, you can come up and, uh, why don't you come up and sort of, I'll just turn it over to you. You can talk about what we're doing and how we're trying to do it. Uh, good morning, commissioners. Um, currently we have 132 teams that are in the league active to start in January. There are another 40 to 50 teams that are waitlisted. Before we can actually get those teams in the league, we have to make sure that we have enough referees, that we have enough gym time so that the quality of the playing experience is not diminished because we have uh, overgrown it excessively. Um, our goal is to have each and every team in the league, um, but it's going to take us a few more weeks to make sure that we have all the gym time and that we have everything that we need to run the league successfully. So currently there are uh, over 130 teams that have been admitted into the league. Another 40 or 50 uh, are to believe to be on waitlisted, and our goal is to have all those teams to be entered. Thank and just uh, Commissioner Allison is not here, but he and I have actually talked about this. It's uh, also worth noting we're not the only game in town here. There are actually nonprofits and other other uh, youth basketball leagues in San Francisco that um, use other facilities that are not ours. So we're going to do our best to make sure that everybody's uh, 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 make sure that everybody's accommodated. Um, but you know, similar to the pickleball conversation, we we have the facilities that we have, and we do the best that we can to program them without compromising other act, other very genuine, legitimate, and important recreational activities that are happening in those spaces. Um, and then the, just the one addendum, because it, it, it came to me about this conversation, and I, I wanted to share with uh, some of the folks that are, that are here today who are enthusiastic, and thank you for loving your parks, and thank you for, like, you know, and wanting the recreation that you want. That's, we're, we're good with that. We, we get that. Um, uh, but in terms of the multi-lines, while not ideal, you know, in a city, we sh you know, we have to learn how to share our space. And the example, the example that I will give is a while back, we had a similar challenge with uh, youth sports and youth soccer when we converted a bunch of grass soccer fields that needed to rest for a period of time into synthetic turf. It was a pitched and controversial for different reasons. But when we went through that process, we lined all of those fields are not just lined for soccer. They're lined, they're lined for lacrosse. They're lined, some of them are multi-purpose soccer and baseball. Uh, they are, we have some that are lined with hash marks for, for youth football. And not ideal either, right? Uh, lines, Commissioner Louie, to your point, sometimes lines are in different colors and they can be a little confusing. But in the density that we have with the open space that we've got, we try to come up with creative solutions that uh, facilitate as much play as possible. So, you know, while we will, we are going to continue to work on dedicated spaces, um, but we actually are are proud of the fact that we've gone out and relined over 50 courts in the last few number of years. You know, for for both sports. So, not perfect, but a start. Yep. Um, I had one follow-up question back to the ba basketball. How do we go about recruiting the referees? 
I understand that that's a problem. Currently, because we um, are in excess in the teams that we currently can handle, we're going to have to hire a, a referee agency to come in and insist and bring in a, a, another number of referees to facilitate these games to the tune of about fourteen to sixteen thousand dollars per season. Per season. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, let me make an observation, and then we'll move on with the agenda. Um, in, in the big picture, we clearly hear you. I think it needs to be recognized that in urban areas, and this is happening all over the country, pickleball is a phenomenon, and the challenge is finding space. And in a densely populated city, land values are such, and competition for space is such, that it's a real challenge. <coughs> Excuse me, having... <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Having said that, <clears throat> we're also heading into an economic downturn with office spaces in this morning's paper. You can read taxes are going to be declining and the competition for dollars are short. So with land <clears throat> short, dollars short, and an increasing sport, the challenge is simply that much greater. So I want to frame that and uh, say that I'm delighted to hear we'll hear something more in January. And uh, we're going to work hard on this. There, uh, there, every day, a different national newspaper has a headline story about pickleball. And so you're on the winning side of the curve, but you're also on the challenge side of the curve to solve this problem. So, and I think there's, just as an afterthought, there's, there's room in the private sector here to do very well if they can figure out realigning spaces that are underused to take advantage of this growing phenomenon. So we'll continue to look at it. But thank you very much for coming today. We appreciate your comments. Okay. Thank you, everyone. We're now on item six, the consent calendar. Is there any public comment on the consent calendar? In room 416. Okay. Seeing none, do we have any hands raised on our public line? We have one hand raised as a reminder to those of you raising your hands this is public comment on the consent calendar only which has the minutes and the zoological society animal transactions on it this month you can go ahead and unmute the first caller okay they put their hand down. Commissioners, did you want to remove anything from the consent calendar? Is there a motion to approve the consent? So moved. Second. It's been moved and seconded. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. So moved. Thank you. All right. We are now on item seven, the San Francisco Zoo. Tanya, just let me know if you have any trouble opening up your visual. <laughs> How do I get to the home screen here? No, no, it's fine. Please delete your request to speak if you have already spoken, Commissioner Louis and General Manager Ginsburg. <laughs> Thanks. I think all you have to do is just go like that. Oh, but I'll. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, Tanya Peterson with the San Francisco Zoo. I, oh, I can take this off, maybe. 
Just want to say I only tried pickleball once, and everybody screamed at me to get out of the kitchen, which I found ironic since I don't spend much time in my own kitchen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, anyway, I'll well stay away from kitchens. Uh, uh. <laughs> Go for it. All right, I have a PowerPoint here. Well done. And, well um, done. <laughs> Uh, you know, we're getting back to normal, too, when we finally, finally have met with our colleagues around the world. Uh, and recently we did this to uh, help the zoos in the Ukraine. Our plan was actually to vacate the animals from the Polish zoos, um, similar to what they did in World War II, and bring the animals out of Ukraine. There are 12 zoos in the Ukraine. 11 of 12 are doing well. Russia has targeted one, the one that went out on social media for help. Anyway, unfortunately, it was not safe to be in Poland, and it was not safe to bring the zoo, uh, animals to the zoos in Poland. Um, so we are sending generators, money, and food grain. We had a chance um, to talk via Zoom and go to, to the directors in the Ukraine, and I just was inspired once again to people's commitment to endangered species. I mean, one man is taking care of four Siberian tigers on his own. So I, um, I felt I had nothing to complain about, again about. Uh, with that, though, we couldn't help but talk about COVID, too. Um, and just quickly here, we ha hired an outside expert. And surprisingly, uh, over the pandemic, zoos lost more visitors than aquariums, uh, al you know, almost doubled there, uh, probably because uh, more uh, you know, members visit their zoos with frequency, um, but the zoo industry initially hit uh, more severely than the aquariums. And we're all in the same room together, by the way, zoo and aquarium directors, which is a little interesting sometimes. Uh, but coming out of the pandemic, the good news for zoos was actually initially we did better, I think because of the outside uh, factor of most zoos. Um, so uh, the summer after the, the worst of the pandemic, we too were doing better um, than we expected. But then unfortunately, this recent summer, uh, everybody's uh, attendance was down, as uh, President Buell mentioned. I think inflation having something to do with it. Unfortunately, we fell more in the wildlife park. Um, it looks like we're down about 25%. Uh, I think it's because where we're located, families probably do drive in cars, and you, gas prices are um, you know, startling. Uh, and uh, of course, we're also shut now. The Great Highway is shut on the weekends, which is our peak times. So anyway, we'll uh, continue to adjust to the Great Highway closures on weekends, um, but uh, I did want to show you a fun uh, adjustment by one of the zoos. Um, as you know, there's plexiglass everywhere uh, in your grocery store, but look at the plexiglass that a couple of zoos in Europe used and uh, in Dubai. I tell you, though, if I did this, I'd be holding that otter's hands yeah. all day long. Yeah, <laughs> so, okay. it's, it's probably best we didn't do this, but uh, uh, adorable. And just, you know, I applaud everybody for thinking out of the box, um, a way to have connections, because our contact yards were the uh, slowest and longest to be closed um, during the pandemic. The other thing was um, most of the zoos in Australia and Asia have been hit severely by droughts and uh, floods. Uh, so a number of their species now are in the red. Red is the term used or the color code used by the International Union on Conservation Network, IUCN, to say that it's, uh, an animal is critically endangered. And so we were all challenged to see if you could find a local species or one of your species and get it down from red to the next to yellow. Um, it's a little bit like the old terrorism, the orange and all those colors. But uh, 
we thought perhaps the San Francisco damselfly is one of the species we could get off the critically endangered species. As a reminder, our damselfly, which is beautiful, um, was actually thought to be extinct um, with our partnership with the Presidio. Actually, we are bringing it back to life. Um, they're not only, I think, a beautiful, tiny dragonfly uh, type of insect, but they also eat the larvae of mosquitoes, and so I think they're a natural uh, mosquito repellent, and I think we'll meet the challenge next year to bring this species from down from red to the next color. Um, as we, 2002, the um, Zoological Society, the nonprofit that manages the zoo, um, had it came out with a strategic plan to really invest in conservation, making the entire zoo a conservation campus, uh, and invest in human diversity as well as biological diversity. And those were our major platforms. Some moved ahead, um, some didn't with the pandemic. But I did want to uh, focus on two of the successes that happened. One was we were able to update our vision statement and focus on focus a lot of our programming and signage on conservation, human and biodiversity. I was about to tap myself on the shoulder when I realized in the 50s, the Zoological Society had conservation um, in its uh, message anyway. So I guess we're just platforming on the good work of folks in the 50s. But um, with that, conservation is reimagined at the zoo. And I have to um, applaud our partnership with Cruise Cars. This is the driverless taxi service. And they actually used technology from animals, you know, our insects and other animals who use sonar, um, six and seven cents. So they're not just using radar, but a lot of the same technology our animals use for uh, sensory um, adjustments. I had the chance to actually take one of these at 10 o'clock at night. That was an experience, a very polite. Uh, experience, and they've named all their uh, taxis after animals. I think this one was ant, we've got a panda, tiger, and we just named a kudo after cruise. But also they all came and sponsored our most recent um, San Francisco Free Days. So conservation reimagined um, as we go forward. Um, and also, we uh, took a chance of the pandemic to really clean up our sustainability efforts and our waste management and recology nominated us recently for the Evie Award. That's is San Francisco's Chamber of Commerce Award. And uh, we were stunned to, to receive it and actually win it. So thank you to the Chamber of Commerce and to Recology for that acknowledgment. And then lastly, I know it's hard for you all to come to the zoo, so I wanted you to meet our most critically endangered um, species. This species um, no longer exists on Madagascar and most of Eastern Africa. It is now extinct, but it does exist in, the, in Western Africa, so I think I can click on it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, shoot. Let's try it again. Yeah, you got it. I got it? Oh, no. Did it pop up on your screen? This is the species that no longer exists in Africa? Correct. That's us. That's right. I'm I, sorry, in parts of Africa. This is where I need my teenagers.
tell us what they are. Just tell us. Hey Siri. <laughs> I ask Siri everything. <laughs> hey Siri, what is the most endangered species from Madagascar? Here we go. <laughs> SFGov TV. There we go. All right. It is a pygmy hippo. Uh. Um, he's, this is a young male, but he is nearly full grown. He may gain a few more pounds. Uh, folks think he's a juvenile. Uh, because of their small size, uh, they suffer from predation um, as well as illegal trafficking. And listen, I'd be tempted to put it in my big bag, too. Uh, he's adorable. We're waiting for a female. That's a big bag. <laughs> I have a big bag, so. <laughs> How large do they get? It'd be like a pork dish. So he's about, if I could use my hands, he's about this big. He's only about 400 pounds compared to thousands, thousands. But will and if you see my pork? purse, you'll see that it's about 100. <laughs> Interesting. So he looks like this right now. 400 to 600. Um, compared to three to 4,000, uh, these were all over Africa. They were in Madagascar. They are no longer in Madagascar. They could only be found in certain parts of Eastern or Western Africa. Um, and as we choose new animals to come to the zoo, we really are focusing on the critically endangered um, so that um, we can make a difference in the world globally. So come visit him. But in case you could, and I just wanted to show you how cute he is. Thank you. So cute. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya. Do Thanks. We Thank you, Tanya. Do we have any public comment in room 416 on the San Francisco Zoo report? Okay, do we have any hands raised on our line? Okay, seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. All right, we are now on item eight, equity analysis and metrics. <clears throat> Actually, I get to do a, a brief introduction here. Hold on, Taylor. Okay, so before um, Taylor uh, kicks off, I get to actually formally introduce to all of you our uh, new uh, Racial Equity Program Director, Patrick Lynch, who started earlier this month. Um, Welcome. Patrick has a storied career in government, having served as a special assistant uh, to the mayor many mayors ago, uh, so he's come full circle, and having worked as an executive assistant to the Assistant Secretary of Department of Housing and Urban Development and the San Francisco Housing Authority, and he's done some great work in Napa and I believe in the East Bay, where you were in Richmond too, as I recall, right? From um, uh, and uh, he is extremely experienced in overseeing and implementing policies on diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, uh, honestly, we're, it was a long search uh, because finding the right person for this was was really, really important, and uh, we we couldn't be more thrilled to welcome Patrick to Great. our team. So um, Taylor, I think, is going to kick it off. But uh, uh, and Patrick, if you want to say a welcome, which please. mayor did you work for, Patrick? 
let me, let me say it this way. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, in San Francisco. Uh, I was part of a group that one of our current senators used to come on Saturday mornings and read stories to us and would not allow the press in. Right. I was uh, a work creation person with Father Good over at the shipwreck. Sure. I agree. I finished school. Um, was appointed by Mr. Agnos at the end, we were appointed by Mr. Jordan, appointed by Mr. Brown. And then, uh, you know, floated my wings to other jurisdictions. On hindsight, I don't know why I did that, but uh, I am so pleased right. <laughs> to be back home. Welcome aboard. So, thank you. No, thank you to Phil. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Started to find time, but also did time with Agnos Jordan yeah, and uh, got that. Brown, yeah. yeah. Good morning, Commissioners. Taylor Emerson from the Capital and Planning Division. It's a pleasure to be before you in person today. Is that mic on? Uh, it is, yep. These chambers, maybe I just need to stand. A little closer to the microphone. Closer. Yeah. All right, hopefully that's better. It is. Good morning. It is a pleasure to be here before you in person in these beautiful chambers. I'm here to talk about our annual, our required equity analysis and metrics. Uh, I want to just start with a very high level about the timeline ahead because this is one of the things that's changed this year. Uh, we did take this to Prozac. We're here today before you. What you're about to see will feed into the strategic plan. Uh, which will come before you next month. And then in January, we bring the sub plans, which are the capital and operational. And then all of that work feeds into the budget, which will be before you in February as usual. Um, looking forward, the strategic plan is a five-year plan, as you recall. And we will be working to implement it uh, for fiscal year 23 through 28, uh, along with the racial equity action plan. There is a charter required midpoint reporting period, which will happen in the fall of 2025. And then this cycle of long-term planning will begin again in fall of 2027. So for those of you who are long-term commissioners, you will note this is, we are actually gonna do a five-year plan, have it cook for five years, and then do another one uh, at the end of that. All right. Um, but. The equity analysis is really just a tool. It's a measuring tool. It's like building a ruler. Um, it is not the work. It is not the work of increasing equitable access to recreational park and services. Um, for the work, uh, Patrick is here now to lead us and coach us and guide us uh, through this. And I'm going to let him speak for another moment. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Taylor, for that introduction. I will uh, keep this brief. I know our, our time is all valuable um, because you will hear from us many times as we, as we move forward. Um, to give you a sense of a perspective, think back to when, under uh, Ms. Ginsburg's leadership, the department adopted the equity zones, and that was a, a, a work product that provided evidence to the community as a whole beginning in 2016. Back then in 2017, 18, the department staff came together and said, geez, we'd like to explore other opportunities and how do we build upon the equity zone? So they began to engage in 
trainings and conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion. The city of San Francisco decided to move forward with legislation and created the Office of Racial Equity around the 2019 part, and then staff continued in the effort and folded it, and it actually evolved into the document that you have before you. The document you have before you, uh, we like to refer to it as a REAP, Sanford Racial Equity Action Plan. Within that uh, document, you will see that there are seven uh, focus areas along with those seven focus areas, there's particular categories. So you have everything from, from hiring and recruitment to retention to diversity to separation discipline. You have your um, uh, mobile and your mobility and your development. If you would turn to page 28, I believe it is. Um, and then we're also going to have, as it, re as it relates to boards and commissions, Within that, we're going to assess, well, where are we with our action steps? Where are we with our resources? We're going to look at indicators. We will look at the timeline. We will look at implementation steps. We will look then at uh, where is our status, this will be reported up, and where is our, our lead support on that? So just as an overview, that's within the diversity, equity, inclusion as we fold in the equity matrix and as Taylor will share with you later, we will be consistent with other city departments because then we're going to fold in your strategic plan. And within that, we bracket that as with your strategic plan strategies, how do you inspire space, how do you inspire place, how do you inspire your, your investment, your stewardship, and our team. So I just want to put that in a particular framework. So uh, at that, I'll turn it back over to uh, Taylor. Thank you. So back to this tool, this measuring tool, the charter language says we must develop a set of equity metrics uh, to measure the allocation of services and resources in low-income neighborhoods and disadvantaged communities compared to the city as a whole, and that that work should then go into inform the strategic plan and the subplans capital and operational. For the first five years of doing this, we had a methodology that was based on the data source CalEnviroScreen, which is an open data uh, tool developed by CalEPA. And we made up our own methodology, if you recall, these 10 characteristics, which were equally weighted, some population vulnerabilities, some socioeconomic vulnerabilities. And uh, together, there was a the, the methodology accumulated those factors by census tract. We took the 20% highest frequency, highest rate of those factors, which would be the two darkest colors in this map, overlaid it onto a map of our parks and called and designated all those census tracts in the 20% as equity zones. We treated that, all the pink area here as a whole, called it equity zones, and then there were metrics where we compared those uh, uh, resources and services in those areas compared to the city as a whole, looked at park access, maintenance, investment, recreation, and uh, kids in nature. And then uh, in FY21, uh, we, we uh, took a break. We, uh, the, the underlying data source, CalEnviroScreen, issued uh, an update CES 4.0, and the results of our analysis were strikingly different. 
Uh, we had some, it was complicated by the fact that Census 2020 results had only been partially implemented. There were some vacancies in staff and we didn't quite, weren't able to figure out, we wanted to clearly understand what was causing those differences. And at the same time, there was an audit by the controller as planned in the, it was the fourth year, but COVID made it the fifth year of, uh, to con uh, confirm that we were meeting our charter mandate in Prop B. And they had a recommendation, no surprise to President Buell, that we look more closely at the community level. Um, and uh, rather than grouping the equity zone as a whole. So we took that fifth year as an opportunity to renew and reflect our, on our methodology. What did we do during that time? We looked at all the other, uh, we'll look for best practice. We looked for other better ideas than what we had. Um, we looked at all the other methodologies adopted by city and county San Francisco agencies, including CTA, the Department of Children, Youth and Families has one. Uh, the controller has something called an equity dashboard. Uh, city planning had a tool called environmental justice communities map. We looked at other park agencies, Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles also have an equity tool. And we looked at other, other entities. Trust for Public Land has what they call an equity scorecard. We even looked at the UN Development Program, which has an equity tool that is interestingly based on access to education. And we went back and looked at our own methodology more closely to better understand what was happening with CES 4.0. Our findings after that research, uh, number one, is that our first effort, uh, our original methodology is, is really good. Uh, we can be proud of 1.0, as we'll call it, and uh, you know, other age, smaller agencies around the country still reach out to us asking uh, to uh, learn more about it. So uh, we, we can still stand by that. Uh, but it does require, it relies on, uh, it requires a lot of staff time to implement annually each year. And as you recall, it, you know, we made up this methodology, so there is inherent staff discretion involved. Uh, I also want to note that Census 2020, again, the demographic profiles, which is the basis of this, uh, have not yet been released. Those are now, it's been delayed uh, several times, now scheduled to release in May 2023. Uh, and when those come out, I think there's going to, I predict there will be uh, more changes ahead. Um, what the data now shows, which is based on American Community Survey, a very small sample plus projections based on the 2010 survey, 2010 census, uh, shows a real contraction of poverty and disadvantage in San Francisco, a narrowing, a kind of a, a densification of it. Um, so that when we reach for that 20 or 30% of the most disadvantaged, it now includes some surprising areas. All right, after all of that good thinking, we are here today to recommend to you that we adopt the city planning tool called Environmental Justice Communities, uh, which will be uh, adopted soon by the city's, you know, by the city city planning commission, as part of the general plan. I'm going to now introduce Danielle No from City Planning, who's going to talk a little bit more about this tool. Hello, Commissioners. Thank you for having me today. My name is Danielle Ngo, and I'm a senior planner at the planning department. And uh, me and Lisa Chen and other staff at planning have been working on an environmental justice framework and an environmental justice communities map to comply with state law SB 1000. 
Um, <clears throat> the EJ Communities Map is one of our deliverables to comply with SB 1000, and it fulfills an analysis of disadvantaged communities in San Francisco. Our team is choosing to rename this phrase as environmental justice communities, and this draft map that you see on the slide um, is going to our commission, as Taylor said, at the start of next year, in January 2023. This map is a raster analysis of state and local data on environmental pollution exposure as well as social vulnerabilities. And the areas in red and dark orange are what we deem as environmental justice communities. These are census tracts that face the top 30% of cumulative burden in San Francisco. And they are predominantly low income and experiencing disproportionate environmental burden as compared to the rest of the city. The um, analysis that we uh, followed is guided by the California Office of Planning and Research. It includes four major layers. The first one is CalEnviro Screen version 4.0, which was released in October 2021. That has, as you know, a lot of environmental pollution and social vulnerability indicators. In addition to the state map, we included three layers to add more local data to guide a higher resolution understanding of environmental justice in the city. There is the state HCD income data to adjust for what low income households in San Francisco are, as well as the air pollution exposure zone to add more local data on environmental pollution. And the last layer is from SFDPH, the areas of vulnerability analysis that has a slew of social economic um, demographics. And so with those four major layers and this raster analysis, we can depict this gradient, this spectrum of environmental justice burden in the city. Um, again, just to wrap up, this will be, uh, we are intending to bring it to our commission at the start of next year so that it can live in the city's general plan. Uh, we're really appreciative of Taylor to represent uh, the rec um, department in our interagency work, our community outreach that has been occurring over the past year and a half. Um, and we are really appreciative of the, the idea to incorporate it in your agency's work um, as other agencies like SF Environment, the PUC, and the Port have also been coordinating to align these interagency efforts on environmental justice and other vulnerabilities. Thanks. This tool offers a real opportunity for the city to align and have a unified definition of what uh, disadvantaged areas uh, w we can focus on together. It meets our charter mandate. It's developed by planning, a neutral expert. Uh, they had extensive public outreach and comment. Danielle did not mention more than 5,000 public comments have been received and integrated into this. Uh, and uh, we're, we're here today to say uh, we hope that you approve adoption of this methodology. So when we take the dark, the red and the darkest orange and overlay those areas into a map of our parks, and now we have added an additional layer, which is city planning's definition of neighborhood. And going forward, the equity analysis will uh, will look at the neighborhood level compared to the city as a whole. There have been some changes uh, in this. As I mentioned, a general contraction. In the first methodology, we used 20% of the city, 20% of the census 
blocks plus a buffer, and we had 89 parks that were included. With the EJ methodology, it's 30% of the city, and there's 81 parks. 26 of the former parks are no longer there because this equity zone shape has shifted, and 17 new parks are added, including Heron's Head and Lake Merced. Um, and some parks are no longer included in this, including Betty Ann Ong, which we think of as definitely, we know, is in service of residents of Chinatown who are included in the equity zone demographic criteria. Uh, but Betty Ann Ong is technically in a neighborhood called Knob Hill, and its neighbors, its surrounding residents, are not uh, in that top uh, threshold of disadvantage. There's an asterisk here because, you know, this, this analysis has been very geographically based, based looking first at our facilities and where they're located. And I think going forward with all the changes there are in uh, big data and the opportunities around um, learning more about park visitors uh, versus the park site, uh, I think there's, there's going to be changes in the future where we know more about who comes to a park uh, rather than where the park is located. Another change uh, that you'll notice this year is that the metrics themselves are within the structure of the strategic plan. So now there are metrics that are place-related under Inspire Place, things that are related to play like recreation hours and children's play area and access via scholarships are under the goal to inspire play. Inspire investment has of course our capital investment uh, through the bond program and uh, other funding sources and volunteer hours and stewardship. Uh, Inspire Team is missing. Inspire Team is really about the REAP, the, which was an inward-facing uh, look at how we interact with each other and hire and promote, uh, whereas the equity analysis is an external sort of outward-facing analysis. All right, so going to the neighborhood level, um, there are 17 neighborhoods that are touched by the equity zone. If a neighborhood had even just one park that was included in that purple area, it's counted here. And we looked at the, each neighborhood level um, to see what assets there are and to see and to measure uh, proportionately by population uh, the, 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 that comparison between that neighborhood and citywide. Here's an example, uh, the first one, uh, Bayview-Hunters Point neighborhood. Uh, there's actually in Appendix C in your staff report, there are 17 of these little mini analysis by neighborhood, one for each neighborhood. And so uh, here you can see the Bayview has 4% of the city's population. And um, work. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Want to borrow my cheaters? Bill offered his Taylor. too. Oh, oh everybody's <laughs> got their readers. Okay. Oh, hello. <laughs> we all do it. <laughs> oh, shut up, Tony the Tiger. Where, where did I put my glasses? <laughs> On your <So>. head. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So under Inspire Place, we can see that citywide, the average of park evaluation scores is 91% for our last fiscal year, and the park evaluation scores in the Bayview is 87%. So there's opportunity for improvement there. And of course, one of the most obvious things we're doing to improve is we're building India Basin. Uh, right now, you know, these scores are based on uh, the India Basin shoreline park and uh, it tends to be a little lower scoring. Uh, I think everyone's just so excited for the future. Um, facilities with public Wi-Fi is a new metric. Uh, hoping to kind of get at that. Maybe you don't have internet at home, but you could come to your local rec center and access. So there are 38 sites citywide, and yes, there are sites in the Bayview with public Wi-Fi. Um, I wanted to point out another new metric, which is down under Inspire Stewardship, which is nearby nature access. This is a combination of our designated natural areas plus our natural our nature exploration areas, which are our natural playgrounds. So uh, we have 34 of these sites citywide, and yes, there is access to nature in the Bayview. Some of the findings that we had from this neighborhood level analysis is that, for example, we see disproportionately low recreational programming in a couple of neighborhoods, um, including uh, Chinatown, Soma, and the Tenderloin. Now, when we saw this, when the number we were looking at the data, we know there is a ton of recreational programming at Tenderloin Rec, for example. Um, so in this case, it might be a, a a call to do better at capturing our data, capturing our own work, capturing the work of our tenants, our operator at Bodecker, uh, and and figuring out how you know the Department of Children, Youth, and Families has grantees that work in our sites, and doing a better job of capturing all of that work that's happening on our property may be the call to action here. As you, as you know, this charter clearly states that uh, the equity analysis is just a tool for measuring and that when we find inequity uh, or disproportionate uh, service allocations, we, the, turning that data into action happens in the strategic plan. So we're gonna come back to you next month with um, um, initiatives uh, included in our new five-year plan to address some of the findings that we've seen here in this new analysis. Um, I want to draw your attention to the last bullet. It doesn't, you know, the numbers showed just, you know, both high and low, surplus and gaps. One of the surpluses we noticed is that about 60% of our mini parks are located in equity zones. So what can we do as good government uh, to leverage the resources that we have in these places? How can we make the mini park experience uh, you know, enhanced and more active? So these are the kinds of questions and thinking that we're working on now to take the data revealed in the equity analysis and turn it into action in the strategic plan. That concludes my presentation. I'm here to answer any questions. Thank you very much, Taylor. That That's a great presentation. Um, do you want to ask for public comment first, and then we'll go to questions? Is there anyone who has public comment on item 8 in room 416? 
Seeing none, do we have any hands raised? No hands raised. Public comment is closed. Mr. Ginsburg. Um, just a reflection or two. One is to uh, thank both Taylor and Patrick for the work that uh, they've done to sort of reinvent. <clears throat> this is 2.0 for us. And, you know, we've been working with equity metrics since 2016, I believe. And I really want to give Taylor a, a, a tip of the cap for uh, some of the, you know, deep strategic analysis that, that she's done over the years. And, and now, you know, with, you know, also Patrick's strategic thinking about this, this is only going to get better. I do think, um, Taylor, Taylor said it, which was, we want to shift over time and this will take time to, to looking at who's using our facilities rather than where our facilities are located. I think that that is an important distinction because otherwise you end up with some arbitrary line drawing such as at Betty Anong Rec Center, right? Where we know we are, we are, uh, serving a population that really needs us, that often uh, probably lives in equity zones, but you know the facility isn't technically in one based on the best definition of it that the city's come up with. Um, and then uh, also the data capturing. So I don't think we have historically done a good enough job in telling our total story. So if you see uh, lower program hours uh, at Tenderloin Children's Rec or low scholarships, that's because actually all the children that go to Tenderloin Children's Rec just go for free. There's no scholarship application. It's just, and we have a number of partner programs and a number of drop-in uh, programs in certain of our facilities where there, where we have long viewed registration as a barrier to entry. So because we're not, because it's okay. I don't. I'm talking to you, but um, but be, but be. <laughs> um, but because, uh, you know, because we had viewed, you know, too much, you know, a little bit of paperwork and signing up for registration as a barrier to entry, we, there are certain facilities that have historically just operated on drop-in or free programming or programming partners, and we haven't captured all that data yet. And that is going to be reflected in the analysis, but doesn't really tell the, the full story of our work, which I really believe uh, and most fundamentally on the recreation side is deeply, 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 deeply committed uh, to serving kids that need us most and seniors. So I'll stop there. Thank you, Commissioner Louie. Um, thank you, Taylor and Patrick. Um, this is so important and thank you for highlighting uh, the surpluses and gaps through the you know, methodology plan. Um, I think it, I think the Rec and Park Department is the best department, and it seems to implement and care um, about equity. And so, you know, with this tool and you highlighting today what we're going to look forward to discussing in January, I think this is a, a beautiful thing for the department, and thanks very much. Commissioner Griffin. Thank you both for the plan. I, I think I see a lot of work has gone into it. And I also want to thank you for getting us a copy of the, the whole plan, because I plan on reading this whole thing. Um, yeah, I, I'm commended by it, or I commend you for it. But I got one question about these maps that were done. In particular, <coughs> excuse me, the Western edition. What are your boundaries here? 
for the Western Edition map. Do you know offhand if you don't? Are you, you asking me for the street boundaries? Yeah. I don't. I, I would have to refer to the map. You've got some help coming. Okay, good. She's a geographer. So. <laughs> Great. Hi, Commissioner Ergolan. I'm the Deputy Director of Planning. Hi. Hi. The boundaries come from the Planning Department's neighborhood boundaries. So we're using their boundaries for all of these maps. I don't know offhand what the exact locations are for uh, the Western Edition, but that's how the Planning Department designates that neighborhood. So should I reach out to them to yeah. get the actual streets? How about this? Uh, we will meet with the planning department and provide the boundary for you. Okay. So we'll respond uh, back through. Uh, <coughs> this is easy. We, we can get you the boundary right. easily. We'll, we'll is, do that. Okay, great. Thank is you. there a question about the actual geography, or you just want to know what the boundary is? I well, there may be some questions about the geography. Okay. That's we'll why I want to find out. Okay. I was born and raised in the Western Edition, and it just looks different to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Thank you. Um, seeing no other hands raised, uh, let me just make an observation that I think this is one of the greatest tools we have to make decisions. And so I compliment the whole staff. Patrick, welcome aboard. Uh, Taylor, I just, you know, I think the world of this data and information, and it just keeps getting better. So I congratulate everybody involved and thank you. And I think with that, the chair would entertain a motion to approve this. So moved. Second. It's been moved and seconded. All those in favor? Aye. 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 It is unanimous. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we are now on item nine, general public comment. If there's anyone who didn't have an opportunity to comment during item five, now would be the time. Is there anyone in room 416 who would like to comment during general public comment? Seeing none, I believe we have one hand raised on our line. So if you could unmute the first caller, you'll have two minutes. Can you already Change their line, I guess. Can you already hear the commissioners. Oh. Hello, we My can hear name you. Is Francisco and I'm very interested in how y'all are going to look at open space in the southeast sector of San Francisco without consulting the environmentalists, without paying attention to the grand jury and what they have decided on Hunter's Point. What is happening is that I'll take it for granted that uh, there is no representation in the Bayview Hunters Point area. There is real representation, but it hasn't come to your attention because you all do not have the data from the biomonitoring that is happening. Park and recreation should get the data of the biomonitoring. Park and recreation should go out of its way to consult the environmentalist before having any plans to build recreation areas that are contaminated by radioactive elements. 
This is very serious. The area where depleted uranium was tested, you all need to have a hearing on that, either in the community or at City Hall. I know some of y'all, and I know y'all can do due diligence, but don't speak in generalities and think that everything's okay. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. I don't believe we have any other callers on the line, so public comment is closed. Thank you. Okay, we are now on item 10, Commissioners Matters. Commissioners? Don't see any hands. Okay, is there any public comment on Commissioner's Matters? Seeing none, public comment is closed. We're now on item 11, new business agenda setting. Anything from the commissioners? Don't see any hands. Okay, seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. We're now on item 12, communications. Is there any public comment on communications? Seeing none in the room and none on our lines. Public comment is closed. We are now on item 13, adjournment. Chair to entertain a motion. So moved. It's been moved. Seconded. Second. It's been <laughs> moved and seconded by the same person. All those in favor. <laughs> so Aye. moved. Hi. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, SFGovTV. Are we going to do agenda setting?